Welcome to the podcast series Anders Utrecht, where scholars and community organizers discuss how grassroots initiatives offer sustainable alternatives to urban organization in the Utrecht region. Join the sustainable urban transformation and tune in to hear what we can do differently in Anders Utrecht. Hi everyone, you are listening to the third episode of this series where we will talk about how social inclusion relates to an ecologically and socially sustainable city. I am your host today, Ozan Alakavuklar uh, from Anders Utrecht team and we are here today with Leonie van Bruggen from Ville Frede and Theresa Oost and Gert Dijkstra from Staatspodium Utrecht as well as Utrecht University researcher Yusra Rahmoini Eledrisi. So, let's begin uh, with a brief introduction of uh, yourself. Leonie, can you introduce yourself briefly? Yes. Uh, my name is Leonie. I'm the project coordinator of Villa Vrede, which is a day shelter for undocumented people in Utrecht. I'm focusing mostly on activating undocumented people. So, um, trying to find out their talents, their interests, and what they would want to learn. And then uh, we try to find an activity with them. How about you? Teresa. And uh, I'm uh, what you might call an accelerator of uh, Stadspodium Utrecht, uh, aanjager in Dutch. With the Stadspodium we try to give uh, the people of Utrecht a voice in uh, every decision that's been made. We think that we want to do that, making it inclusive and diverse. And Gert. Uh, Thanks. My name is uh, Gert uh, Dijkstra. Just like uh, Theresa, I'm also active uh, within uh, Stadspodium Utrecht as a sort of founding father, maybe, uh, five years ago, six years ago, 2015, we started it off as a, a counterbalance, a power, counterpower for the local government because we thought that uh, the, the, the subjects which needed to be discussed were not really openly discussed uh, in the city. And indeed, if they were discussed, they were only discussed with a small group of people in the city itself, and not with all those who are who should attend in these discussions. So that was the drive for us to to start it off. Uh, and after five six years, I will now look with the team, but uh, Teresa will uh, will take it over and uh, try to go on with it uh, the next hopefully four or five years again. Great. We'll look forward to listening to the rest of the story. And uh, before that, uh, Yusra. Thank you, Ozan. I'm Yusra Ramuniel Idrisi, and I'm an assistant professor here at the School of Governance. I joined about two years ago now, um, and I do research on uh, grassroots organizations and uh, basically how do people uh, self-organize or decide to self-organize um, together um, for a cause uh, or a common purpose. And how I came to the question or the topic of social inclusion, which is the topic of today, is basically through my PhD work that I did uh, on environmental activism, climate activism. And one of the questions that is quite central um, today and has been for some years now within the environmental movement is the question of the the social question, how to bring in more social uh, diversity to the environmental movement. And progressively, I'm moving towards um, really engaging a little bit more 
also in my work or research through the work I do as a volunteer at Villa Frede myself, basically the experiences and the, the challenges that migrants and the undocumented migrants face in the city of Utrecht. Thank you all for joining us doing this podcast at one of the uh, university buildings, uh, School of Governance. And we are at the city center right now. And uh, as you may notice, you can hear some birds chirping at the background and sometimes some uh, sirens may, may come. But yeah, we'll just enjoy our conversation here. And with this, I would like to begin uh, asking about organizations. Uh, we would like to know more about your, your organizations and how they are related to social inclusion. Uh, Leonie, would you like to begin? Yeah, sure. So Villa Vrede is a shelter for undocumented people in Utrecht. So undocumented means often uh, asylum seekers who got their uh, asylum request denied by the immigration services. So uh, officially they can't stay uh, in the Netherlands, but Actually, they can't also they can't go back to the country of origin. Uh, most uh, often, it's not so easy. Um, there's a wide variety of people of uh, reasons why people cannot go back home. So that can be uh, safety, it can be medical issues, it can be uh, psychological issues, it can be anything. Maybe the country of origin doesn't recognize them as a citizen. So there's a lot of reasons why people cannot go back. Um, but being undocumented means that you have no rights. You have no, after, if you're older than 18 years old, you're, you uh, have no right anymore to go to school. You have no right to work, no work, uh, right to even do voluntary work. So these people are actually, they're in the middle of nowhere. They can do nothing. So Villa Vrede at some point uh, was founded because they say we need to give a, a, a space for these people where they can come during the day, where, where, they, where, where it's a safe space, where they can be themselves. And also for us, it's very uh, important that these people keep developing themselves because there's so many talents and so many interests and so many different people there that we said, okay, we want to help them grow, even in the time that they're waiting for maybe a new procedure or uh, whatever the future brings for them. So that's what we founded uh, or why Villa Vrede was founded uh, since 2014 now. So that people can come during the day to us uh, to relax and uh, have some, some, some food and some drinks. Uh, and some activities. So, for example, we give Dutch class, we give English class, there are sports activities, they can do gardening, and then we have a whole network of organizations and institutions and places in Utrecht where people can also have work experience or voluntary work experience. And that can range from a car garage to a garden to a clothing store, that kind of things. So we always look at the, the talents and interests of the people that come to Villa Vrede, and then we, we try to link them to a relevant place for, uh, for some experience and some activity during the day. Great. So as far as I understand that you try to make city as inclusive as possible for those people who are undocumented and who may have some issues of going back home, right? Yes. Yeah. We try to link them as much as possible to existing initiatives in the, in the city center. I think also uh, Stadspodium Utrecht is uh, touching on the subject of inclusion, social inclusion, in some sense. Because if you attend meetings or discussions, debates who are organized in the city, uh, normally you find um, not the average Utrechter attending these meetings. Uh, it's always, there are even some people who are traveling around and you see them everywhere. There is a, a kind of inner circle in the city 
who are from uh, the citizens uh, group are attending these kind of meetings. I myself am one of them. I, I attended these meetings already for, for, I'm living here for 35 years. I attend these meetings for already 35 years. And so you, you, you develop a network of people who attend these meetings like me all the time. Uh, they're not inclusive, they're exclusive. exclusive. Um, so six years ago, I, I sat here on, on one of these cafes and I was grumping about this local government who was excluding 99% uh, of the public from the social of the, 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 the civil uh, discussions in the city. And I thought, okay, I, I can grump about this, I can be angry about this, but do I do something about it? Uh, and that is the way we started off. That was, in fact, the motivation to start off. So if we have a debate organized by Stadsbom Utrecht, the first one who get the word are those who are suffered or are conflicted. Or So if we have a debate about building new houses or housing problem, the first one who's going to speak is somebody who can't find a house he, can, he or she can afford. Um, so we try to include those who are normally even do not attend the debate or not, do not join the, the public debate. That's a big group, very big group. Majority, you would say. That's absolutely the majority. majority, absolutely. And even then, if there is a problem in a certain area, then, of course, the, the highly uh, higher educated people, they know the way, they know their paths, they will join the debate massively because it's, it's their personal interest who is, is, is it's involved. But if, if you come in some neighborhoods, then even for these people, um, they do not believe in the system or they already uh, don't have any connection with the system, they don't know uh, or do not know how it works. So they need more help to join the debate. And that is what we try to do with Strasbourg. So that's exactly what I find interesting with your organization or what you just said, is that you try to mobilize those the least heard, the most marginalized or the least knowledgeable about the existence of that space, right? Of the possibility of giving their voice which for me connects with what Filafredi does, which is that basic level of getting to know your rights or getting to know what you can have access to, that you could potentially have access to basic needs, right? Uh, which unfortunately, or we can look at it as the state is supposed to provide, you know, the voice, the political representation, like a space. But in your, both of your cases um, represent examples of in, initiative, citizens' initiative, choosing to open a space for those most excluded. And I think it's a very interesting, because social inc uh, inclusion responds to the problem of inequalities, right? Social inequalities of access to, to certain services or uh, of rights. And to me, and the response should start, as you said, by those who suffer somehow like the most, are the most concerned. We start from there. We hear the, the people most concerned and then we hear those that we hear already in other spaces, right? Politicians, media, whoever. I find it, yeah, interesting to, to see that connection. Yeah, that was really interesting also. I guess it was a good wrap-up in terms of 
having a kind of clear objective that how you relate to social inclusion. But we also wonder what kind of values and principles drive your organization or drive your activities. We heard some of them, but maybe there are some others that you would like to share with us in terms of these uh, values or principles. Especially because you don't necessarily use uh, social inclusion in your branding or in your... Or do you? I don't know. Maybe this is a question. Like, what's behind social inclusion? Um, well, uh, first of all, I think we have a few uh, key words we like to use. I call that street language, so that everybody understands what we mean. And we don't use the big words. So we, we talk about being vulnerable, being honest, but also being a bit rebellious. And that goes very well with the debate, I think. So that's something that speaks to people. And when you talk about giving people a, a stage to express their concerns, you can be rebellious. That gives them maybe a little bit of power, empowerment to step up and say, okay, I don't really grasp this system of democracy or how it's all organized in this system, but I do have an opinion and I do have some concerns I would like to address. And I don't have another way of doing that. The system as it is now, with the voting, etc., it's not working for me, I need something else besides that. And I believe that's what Stats Podium is offering. How does it work then? I mean, I assume that uh, I am I'm quite uh, uh, complaining about traffic or complaining about uh, lack of housing or expensive housing. I have some, let's say, expectations from the government, from you know, some other institutions. How can I engage with, uh, with you? Or how do you decide about the speakers, for instance, for the debate? Well, we do have some criteria, so it's not uh, like a, a soapbox and anyone can express their opinion. Then they're in the wrong place. Uh, but we have uh, some guidance uh, with which we help the people to understand how the democratic system also works and which steps they can take. And one of them is by learning how to uh, put their opinions into words that are helpful for the process and the interaction with uh, the government or with the city of Utrecht in this case. So it's not about expressing their opinion per se, but it's about helping them uh, give a voice to uh, some issues that are very, uh, they have to be urgent, they have to be local, so it has to uh, have an impact on more Utrechters, so it's not just a personal opinion about traffic mm. or uh, something like that or housing. But it could be about a topic like housing, if it's something that more of the group of Utrechters uh, are concerned about together and are willing to do something about it but don't know the right ways maybe or have uh, just need some help or, and I love the way you put it into words, uh, they need that space where they can be included when they are not able to find it themselves. That's the space we offer, I think, as Stats Podium. Yeah, values like uh, safety and transparency. So if you come to us, it's safe. We will help you to, to speak out uh, and to be effective in, the, in, in, in speaking yourself out. And we're transparent. So we are, uh, those are two, uh, very helpful to do this. And you asked about how do you reach these people. Well, like I said, I, I started off with this six years ago. Not only me, of course, with a small group of seven, six, seven, eight people. Within the group of eight, we also had three people with a Moroccan-Dutch uh, background who were two are living in Lombok and one in Overvecht. Oh, no, sorry, Canal Island, I'm changing. But they, they, they were connected with a group of people in the city 
who are normally uh, or in general disappointed about their influence, disappointed about in what they can can mobilize or what they can can do mm -hmm. to influence the the local policy of the local government. Mm -hmm. uh, so and there we started off. So the, the very first meeting was about, as I remember in 2015, was about unemployed and migrant. How could it be that three times more migrants are unemployed than non-migrants? And then we invited especially those unemployed migrants to say their word about how that would come. But in the policy at that moment of the local government uh, here in Utrecht, the word migrant and unemployed together was a non-issue because that was a connection which you should not make mm. because then it would you would make it suspect mm. and then you would all attention would go on it and that's what it, it's a inclusion 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 and don't say that three times as much is unemployed on market because then that would not help uh, to change the things to change the world uh, in a better way but then they saw that we organized it in that way that they were able to start off and they had more speaking minutes than the eldermen had more speaking minutes than local politicians because they have time enough in their local government already. Mm -hmm. They see each other often and time enough. They should listen now and then respond to what they say. So that, is by, that was yeah, connecting with that group. So they would, yeah, if you start off good, you, you can go on. And it led, the first one led to uh, three, mo uh, three I call it motions in the local parliament here of the city of Utrecht. Three. Within a week, and one of them was very not very good, I think. But nevertheless, there was some action. They, yeah, that was the anonym solicitor. That was one of the things. I don't not, I'm not sure if that helps uh, to solve this problem. But some people believed it and they tried it out. But nevertheless, it had a political effect, which was good for our. For in our team, we had three Moroccan Dutch mm. people. And they said, "Hey, this works. I stay with you." Mm. So. Uh, Mm -hmm. They stayed for us so for, for the whole time. At least your first group, initial group, uh, initiator of initiators of this uh, organization was diverse. It was absolutely diverse, yeah. was socially inclusive. That's, that's the lesson. <laughs> if, you learn, if you go to a, a local bar, what you, pint, what you put behind the bar is what you get in front of the bar, right? Yeah, if, yeah, if, you, yeah, if you want yeah. to organize something, do it with the people you want to invite. Exactly. If I would have done it myself... Uh, it wouldn't be the same, no. right? We had yeah. Ismail, we had Ali, we had Yassin. Yassin, mm. no, Yassin mm. is still with us, Ali also. Yeah, so it's so, still the case? You, you, you well, okay. yeah, yeah. We were out of order for due to Corona, of course, now for one year and a half. But uh, mm. <laughs> the group is still passive there and should be reorganized as soon as Corona is open. Yeah. Hopefully after summer. Yeah. And and you mentioned safety, safe space, and that's also something Leonie mentioned yeah. also earlier, right? Safe space, I think. No? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think if I if I listen to you and if you compare it to Villa Vrede, we work with a different target group, of course. We work with people who are told that they shouldn't be here, that they have no right to be here, because actually that's what undocumented sort of means. Also, the words they use, for example, within the government, they, they talk about people without rights or with no right to be here. So what we uh, try to do among the people that we work with is really trying to create the safe space that they feel like I'm here and I'm allowed to be here and I can be myself. 
So I think if I look at the values of, uh, of Villa Vreda, I would just quote the first sentence of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, like every human being is uh, born uh, free and equal in dignity and rights. And that's really what we, uh, what we try to convey also within, within Villa Vreda. So I think that's the first step that we have to do, create the safety and the, and, the, and the feeling that they're allowed to be here, they can be here, that nobody's going to arrest them, nobody's going to, to take them away. And from there, we're trying to make them a little bit more vocal and, and uh, secure um, and try to empower them. But that is a very, that's a big step for somebody who's thought like, oh, you should actually be going back to, to, to your country of origin. But also even more, because we're talking about people that if they have or if they can find a safe space in Villa Frede, so many of the rest of the spaces of society are exclusionary, right? And dangerous, like the, the danger of being arrested by a policeman, the danger of being asked for your identity, right? And so that's what makes it then harder also to kind of move from, yeah, gaining some, yeah, power, some empowerment in a, in a safe space like Villa Frede to being able then to stand on a podium and potentially talk to a politician or, I don't know, a, a, an employer. Uh, but you did this, right, with unemployed migrants, right? Both of these spaces are safe, surely. But we mustn't forget how much this is necessary because the rest of the spaces, so how to scale up or how to kind of make, because the point is to influence, right, the local government to make it less exclusionary in the market, in the job market, for instance, or in other spaces. And that's the ch challenge. Just building on that, given that you are part of this network, Anders Utrecht, uh, I think we already see that there are really powerful values and drivers that uh, bring you with others and also bring you with this organization. And what do you do differently compared to other organizations in the similar line of work? If you, if you talk about social inclusion, if you talk about participative democratic practices, if you talk about um, um, uh, migration, if you talk about refugees, how do you do things differently? Well, I think, first of all, Villa Vrede, of course, we're working for a target group. We're working for people that actually have no, no rights. So the government is, or at least the municipality, is, is, is accepting us and they appreciate us. But of course, they can't fully sort of, yeah, give an okay to say it like that. Um, and that's also Villa Vrede, therefore, it's also independent. So we get some money from the municipality. But most of it is from individual donors or churches or other organizations. So that's why we can decide for ourselves. We can make our own line and be in touch with the people that come to come to Villa Vrede and see what's necessary and help as best as possible. And I think that's very important for us that we keep this freedom and this uh, independence. So that we're not we don't have to follow any government rules or regulations or lines. So I think that, make, uh, that makes Villa Vrede quite unique, also if I compare it to the other institutions that work with undocumented people. And because we're very, if I look at Villa Vrede, people come to us, for example, of course, to relax and to be themselves. So they don't have to do anything. They can just be there. They don't have to work on legal procedures. They don't have to go to the lawyer or to the doctors. They don't have to do nothing. And that also gives them the space and the freedom to be themselves. And if there's really something pressing, 
they can come to me or to the other coordinator with problems or with volunteers that work with us. And like that, we really get an insight into what really plays in their mind. You know, it's like a really grassroots understanding of what these people face in a in the day-to-day lives and their challenges. And mm. and that for us gives us the opportunity to see, okay, these are the challenges, and how can we how can we step up, or how can we make this uh, make the government or the municipality aware of of the obstacles that people face? Because I think often if you have a bigger institution they might think a little bit more top-down, you know? Oh, I think this or this or this is necessary, but I think we can really give this bottom-up approach and see, okay, no, this is actually what people really, really feel or struggle with. Yeah. Really need, yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit related, actually, to uh, to your approach, maybe, too. It's nice to say that, that independency, um, because you have your own funding, is for you uh, uh, a thing which you do different than other organizations. We would like to say that as well, but for us is that not that easy because funding for a debate is not usually done by people, uh, especially the those who want we want to give a word to. Our debates are you can join them for free because otherwise we don't have the public we we want in our uh, in our space. So that is one which is for us a challenge, I think, because in the past six years. 50 to 60, 70 percent of the funding was done by the local government. So there is a kind of ambiguity. It's ambiguous. It's, 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 they help us to do this, but it's. So we say to the local government, this is helpful for you. You, you are organizing your criticism, and that makes you healthy. It's healthy for you to do so. But not every alderman or every politician, and especially not every civil servant working for the local government is is agreeing with that on mm. us. So it's a struggle every year again. So that's one part. And the other part in which we differ from others, I think, and I look especially to, because in Utrecht there are about 20, maybe more, uh, organizations who are organizing debates, mm. right? There are quite a lot, if you look into. But I think two main things, I don't know, which are where we're different in, is that we, if we organize something about, like the example I gave, or like this example we had sometimes, we, once we had a, a debate about debt, personal debts. But then you only can start if you have at least three or three, four persons who have a huge debt and want to talk about their personal problem with that. So we organize it with those people mm-hmm. and, and they start the debate. They get the floor at first. So And, and that is not what you regularly so often see. So there's, there's a lot of discussion, but they talk about somebody who's not there in the room, for example. And another thing is that it's, in our case, it's what we do maybe differently is that we, it's only the street problems, we discuss street problems, practical. Mm-hmm. It's the problem of Utrecht. And in most, it's, there are also, I attend a lot of other debates because I, I just like them, because they're intellectually very interesting about where it's going to with the climate change, etc., etc. But it's, it's, it's just too far away for, the, for, for people who are in practical needs. Have a, or in, in, in have a problem with debt or housing or, or documents or, or being there, etc., etc. Maybe I forget something. Oh, well, I I'd, I'd like Probably. to add a third. Yeah, sure, well, do. There, yeah. there yeah. are a few more, I think. Yeah, but I think so. one, one is that I think that a lot of organizations, not just in Utrecht, are uh, when you, in, in Holland you have something called the participation ladder, and on the top is the government, and on the bottom is the 
well, the Pearl are the people. people. And uh, my ex in my experience, most of the time, people try to meet halfway. Mm -hmm. And that means that the people have to come up the ladder as well. And the way we try or tend to do that is by educating people mm -hmm. with the uh, assumption that that's what's needed. And uh, for me personally, it's a challenge to challenge all those people in uh, the municipality of Utrecht to come down the ladder right to the people. So that they don't have to take that step, and then maybe together in co-creation. That's and that's why I also believe in the funding from the government, from the city itself, is that we do that in co-creation so that we can walk the ladder together. Mm. I think that would make it stronger, and then it's totally inclusive because the government is also included. We can't leave them out. And in this sense, the language, you, you talked a lot and insisted on the importance of the language, of the street, of the concrete and practical, which makes me think of our language as academics and how we write about things and, and how these things uh, stay unreachable or, or, or obscure to the people concerned, to even the people concerned that we write about. And so through Anders Utrecht, this is what we're trying to do, um, not through language yet, or, or, or also not only through language, but also through practice to bridge between the university and society in general. That's too big or too broad, but the idea behind it is to get us, uh, academics, get out of the university, <laughs> And, and meet and connect and learn from other actors. Uh, we're mainly interested in civil society actors, but also from the other side, I think, also get into the university society, right? And concrete problems and concrete examples of what, uh, what exists. Because we grew, because, because the university is also, can also be thought of as not that socially inclusive, right? Um, in many, in, in different ways. And that's also part, I, I think, of, of at least the ambition or idea we have behind Anders Utrecht to try to uh, uh, forge and strengthen um, those uh, uh, links because they can be productive uh, bridging between the way we speak, like making us speak uh, more in a way that is more useful and the other way around, make, yeah. Um, so I was wondering, for instance, in your case, what kind of challenges you see in your area that probably there are some core issues that make, you or make your organization work? I mean, in a way that you want to respond to some challenges in the society, which in the case, for instance, undocumented migrations, in your case, uh, lack of voice of those who are marginalized. Where, where do these challenges come from? How do you see this? That the government has this rule or this policy that when somebody's asylum request is denied, this person should go home. He has no right to stay here. He shouldn't be here. It's fine and safe to go back home. Uh, that's the idea. But as I said, it's not, it's not that easy. And as a result of that, there's a lot of people who walk around still with no place to go, nowhere, uh, nothing to do, and quite desperate, actually. So that is, I think, the biggest challenge. So then what we saw is that a lot of people also, they roam around on the streets. Luckily, by now, there's a lot of shelters that can take them in and can take care of them. But now, one of the biggest challenges we continue to face is, of course, the limited, uh, the limited space that we can operate in. So we're lucky that Utrecht is quite, quite left and quite, 
quite progressive. So they give a lot of opportunities. Um, they also, there's one agreement we have, which is, um, which got some sub subsidy from the government, or from the municipality, sorry, um, that people can really go to like this dagbesteding, like a place where you can really learn something, which normally wouldn't, wouldn't be uh, accepted for uh, our target group. I know, for example, in Rotterdam, there's a similar project, but undocumented people can't participate just because that municipality is much more right. So I think in Utrecht, we're very, we're lucky with this left and progressive municipality. Uh, but still, what's next? So people can do voluntary work, they can do whatever, at the, like 50 different places that we have uh, contact with. But then what? Maybe someone stays for six months in a bike shop, whatever, re repairing bikes. But there's no next step because there's still regulations that says people can't work. They're not allowed to do this. They're not allowed to do that. So people stay in this sort of... Limbo. In limbo. Yeah, in this waiting. Uh, so it feels like if I reflect on the work that we do sometimes, it feels like, oh, yeah, it's nice. People are busy. But this true sort of complete integration or inclusion is not yet happening. Also because many of the things where they go to, they are accepted because somebody maybe gets subsidy or they don't care. That's the difference. But to go a step further and say, hey, you can get some work experience here. That's super hard. It's like a closed door that we they meet every time. Yeah. A follow up question, maybe because um, sometimes it might feel like, yeah, we're doing something. We're supporting, providing some kind of support. Um, as Filafrede does, uh, and yet uh, feeling this frustration because people do not have uh, or, or go back to the limbo, kind of. They might have those moments where they're doing something that uh, benefits them in terms of gaining skills or something. Because Filafrede cannot do it all, right? Like they can't solve the problem of it. In the, you're aware, of, obviously aware of it. But my follow-up, Follow-up question would be like, what do you think is the one key kind of challenge or key aspect that that could make it, could kind of consider the question maybe uh, to its roots? Like, what would be helpful in a sense? Like, if this is the the problem, is it in the relationship with the with the municipality, which you describe as being very or rather progressive, and we're lucky compared to other cities, right? In the Netherlands. Or is it a question of maybe more coordination among other actors? Well, I think um, the municipality is already doing a lot for us because they have, of course, they, they have to follow the rules and the regulations from the national government, right? So I think the municipality here is already quite, you know, sort of going against or trying to mediate what, mm. what they would want to have and, and the things they get from, from the top. Mm. Um, but... Personally, what I think, I really believe in this sort of grassroots, making people aware, uh, making other organizations aware or people aware of, okay, who are, who are undocumented people? What are they to, allowed to do? What are they not allowed to do? And why? Because I think the more you speak to people, mm. a lot of people will actually say, okay, but that doesn't make sense, you know? Like, we want to help and everybody's mm. welcome. Mm. Um, so I personally believe that that is the most powerful thing right now. Mm. And then, of course, we can do local or national lobby in the meantime to sort of see if there are some, uh, if some things can loosen up. But in the meantime, I think 
uh, to break the limbo, that is the most uh, powerful thing now, to just do it a little bit more grassroots and low-key. Mm. Now, yeah, because I think really changing the structure, if you really want to change big things, really requires national lobby, and that takes a lot of time. Yeah. The municipality did already quite some, uh, some things for undocumented people here in Utrecht. But I think now it's also important to be more on the bottom and also because there's a lot of people who don't know who undocumented people are or why they are undocumented or what it means to be undocumented. And I think the more people know that, the more we can create together. Actually, I have a question, follow-up question before uh, hearing uh, thoughts about uh, Stadtpodium. You, you talk about these challenges and you, you refer to legal aspect, you refer to relation with Gemente. Uh, I wonder whether there is also a kind of large structural problem that leads to, for instance, waves of migration from different countries, which uh, also uh, shows this uh, large inequalities between uh, countries and, uh, you know, or, you know, wars pushing people out of their countries. Do you also do these kind of discussions at Villafredo, or is it more kind of at the backside? because you mostly, of course, deal with daily kind of struggles of these people, because the other one is quite a large mm -hmm. structural problem, right? Yeah. But I wonder, um, how, how do you see this uh, at Villafrede? From the, initially, or firstly, I would say that we are mostly concerned with it doesn't matter why somebody's here, because he's yeah. here, and uh, this person needs to be helped, you know? It doesn't matter if someone came here because of... Uh, war or unsafety or economic reasons or whatever, this person is here and, and we need to help this person here, you know, even if it means, I mean, we're also in, in trajectories that people realistically reflect on their future in the Netherlands and sometimes they come to the conclusion that maybe returning to their country of origin is the best option, you know. Uh, so that's also, it's not as if we want to have everybody stay here in the Netherlands, but we want them mm -hmm. to find a sustainable future for themselves. This discussion about the, the bigger waves of migration, where does it come from? It's not something that we actively discuss within Villa Vrede, actually. Though I think uh, it is a discussion that should be, uh, it should be uh, held, uh, for sure. It is important, for example, maybe perhaps with the Stadspodium, exactly. to bring these stories out. Yeah. Why are you here? And, uh, and, and, and yeah. what does it mean, you know? Yeah. From the very micro experience, to, to the, the macro, macro structures, yes. right? Yeah. It, it, we once had, uh, it's, it's connected, in fact, I was thinking about it, because uh, in 2018, I believe, or 17, uh, there was a, uh, an increase of, of yeah. migrants coming here. It was a kind of burp, 2016 to 2017, 2018, I believe. Yeah. And in that time, we organized, uh, we invited uh, about 15 asylum seekers, and we gave them the floor, and we... And in the first round, we asked them two questions. How many times did you move inside Holland? And what was your worst experience coming here? What they all said, that they were moved not once, but ten times all the time to demotivate them and to, and to text back home that they were not wanted here in Holland. And they also said that being at a, a center for asyl seekers was also one of the most worst experiences they had. And by sharing that together on the podium in front of the politicians and all the others uh, had such an impact uh, that, that it changed something at the local policy. Uh, they were putting them first 
in one huge project. It was called in Overvecht. But mm-hmm. It was meant to be that four or five hundred people were to put in one project. But, 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 but you all know that if you put four or five hundred asylzoekers in one building, uh, you also have people who are in, who are in conflict. Mm-hmm. It's not safe for them. It's not a safe place. Mm-hmm. It's for them uh, a traumatic experience, mm-hmm. even. There are stories about it. But deliberately being done to, to demotivate people to come to Holland. Mm-hmm. We knew it. We knew mm-hmm. it because we knew somebody who was writing these policies. Mm-hmm. And he was... Um, and by sharing it, making it transparent, it changed something in the way of thinking. So afterwards, two, three months later, Case Diepenveen, one of the eldermen here, still being elderman now on other uh, policy, but he announced that in Utrecht, from now on, uh, uh, big project, uh, uh, putting uh, asyl seekers in big buildings, uh-uh, we wouldn't do it anymore. From now on, we would try to find smaller places where, where we can find better, smaller um, safer places for asylum seekers. So in that aspect, uh, uh, yeah. we, we try to connect the, the practical mm-hmm. local street problem of mm-hmm. these people with the higher government policy mm-hmm. of trying to, to demotivate migration to Holland. Mm-hmm. Because every country in Europe has a way of trying demo- to, to, to make your own country not, not nice. Mm-hmm. And, our, and the way we do it in Holland is put them in big uh, buildings and change them uh, every time. Some people even changed five, six, eight or ten times in one year time. Nobody knows. Asyl seekers who come to Holland, they change location yeah. five to ten times. But I think, I guess that's also the, the problem that people, they only see asylum seekers, you know? They don't see the face or the, the name or the person behind name. They just see numbers or somebody on a list, you know, that, uh, yeah, I think through, through dialogue or through whatever, that's how you can bring the human face uh, to the surface. Yeah, I I believe that's our biggest challenge, to be honest. I just uh, overheard a conversation in Canale Island uh, last week about the statistics, about how these cases don't appear in the statistics. And I think it's our job and our challenge to show uh, the NS1 cases and to uh, show that an NS1 could also be a very viable cause to look at and to take, for example, to look uh, to project it on legislation or on any decision making whatsoever, because now it's being excluded. And yeah. I think that's uh, that's very important for us to uh, contribute to that. Mm. to that cause yeah is it a, a challenge or a question of representativity like the question of exclusion of uh, of such and such group um calls for more representation of this voice yeah, right i think so because i think we are still in the assumption that our democratic system uh, um, is inclusive makes, makes sure that that by representation yeah, everybody's included and it's obvious that that's no longer the case mm-hmm. and that's not only with the newcomers that's also with people the new generations who are not taught to vote or to mm-hmm. to participate in politics mm-hmm. and i think that's that's a, a big challenge uh, mm-hmm. and if you can bring that to the street level and to the language of everyday people with the everyday problems that keeps them awake um, you could well 
now I'm starting to dream, but my vision is that you can revive the, the, the democratic system with this approach. And, and then I'm making it really big, but that's, yeah. that's my personal uh, vision on it, yeah. yeah. How, how do you see this problem, this challenge, actually, what you already said that uh, I guess uh, took my attention in terms of uh, taking the voice uh, from bottom to up uh, and that people do not feel entitled to talk or people feel that they already represent it in a way, but it's not really working. What might be the root cause of that? It might be also quite a comprehensive question, I'm aware, but why, why this is happening so? Or what, is, how easy do you answer. see this? Easy answer. A very easy answer. The, 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 diff, the distance between those who decide in the institutions and the people where they decide about is too big, far too big. Uh, there are aldermen who, who are, some are good, uh, but those who are not good, those are the ones who are stay too long in the buildings themselves. The distance is... is um, we have built such an effective, efficient society. Mm -hmm. It's magnificent. <laughs> I mean, for everything we have an institution, for everything we have a policy, for everything we have a process, especially a process. If you go to an institution, the first thing you learn when you're 28 and you start your first job, I know it, the first thing you learn is how to work efficient, how to work according to the process and the procedure. So it should be just and justified. That's how we were trained. The whole system is blue. It's trained like this. So it's not, um, not anymore, but I, I was, I have also passed in giving a client-oriented, client-gericht uh, werken, I call that, a client-oriented working process. Uh, the key, the key thing is to bring the client, to bring the, the customer, to get him in contact with the director, with the elderman, with the people who are deciding things. And that should make, that's what, what Therese also said, the N is one, <laughs> the thing. The N is one, it's the client, it's the customer, it's the, it's the civilian who has a problem. So if, you, if you're an elderman or you're a chosen politician, the first thing you should do is you should visit one a citizen and say, what's your problem? And solve the fucking, sorry, the <laughs> fucking problem for this one person. If you do that correctly, you, you probably change a lot of good things for the other hundred. But that's not the way they do it. They, they try to make a policy of it, try to be just, and then you get the distance. The distance is cultivated. And what, what Teresa said also, I agree completely, of, not of course, but <laughs> is that the, the the, the, the institutions now in Utrecht, they see us as a nice thing to have in the city. Mm. Right. Just a key grassroots thing, oh nice, I joined it, it was nice and lovely, especially do it. But they don't see us as um, a challenge to reform their own democratic, mm. the, the democratic system. And that's, again, of course, not street language now we're talking, because that's, but in street language, it, they don't see us as a changer so that people can be heard by institutions and politicians. That that's, uh, that's a, would be the challenge, that they can see that we are a way in changing that, that thing. You so the challenge is to make the institution... Be aware. Be aware that, uh, that what you're proposing, you what you're doing, is... Uh, is more than a nice evening, but is part of changing of, uh, the, the democratic the way we are the way we are, we are organized right the way the way our society is organized yeah, yeah to make exactly. to make other things more important again 
It's, uh, it's not, not uh, we have our slogan is uh, for this year is save the democracy. Mm. In two ways we can explain that. We take it upon us to save the democracy, but also we ask of the municipality to save it as well. And mm. if we have a joint cause, mm -hmm. hopefully we find each other on that spot and then we can work together on the same cause, I think, eventually. In all your debates, you have a, a representative of the municipality or a politician involved. That's the idea. There's always a... Okay. Yeah. So what I hear is like a society... You speak of a society of efficiency, the crisis of representation or crisis of democracy. And also you use the word system. The system is broken. And I want to ask, I want to kind of sort of push a little bit more and ask, like, yeah, how do you evaluate or, or assess, uh, how do you diagnose the crisis? Like, it's a crisis of what? Like, on a, on a sort of bigger scale or a broader scale? Like, a crisis of the system. But for you, it's mainly of the democratic system. That's what you're saying, right? It's a crisis of the democratic system as we live it or live under it today. You wouldn't say it's a crisis of capitalism. <laughs> That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> I tried. You, you, came, you came to the main point very quickly. <laughs> okay, I'm going to shut up That now. was also my that question to uh, Leonie in terms of, you know, the root cause of, you know, global capitalism, kind of exploitation, kind of wars and all these kind of things. And of course, people will be pushed out of their countries. And For your confidence, yes, it's also a crisis of because um, economically, we also lost a, a quite a lot of democracy in, in, in our economic system. 100 years ago, like in the UK, Holland was one of the big, big examples in Europe where we have our it was a society of economic cooperatives. Economic cooperatives. My grandfather started three uh, cooperatives, not here by himself. The Rabobank, eh, for example. Uh, uh, a big uh, Campina Melk Unie. That's a, the biggest uh, monopolist now at this moment. It started off 100 years ago as a farmer's cooperatives. Cooperatives was very usual. You do, you do it together. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and gradually, in the housing, all the cooperatives are vanished. They disappeared in every kind of sector. So, uh, and, and, and that's also a kind of... Um, so in the economic system, democracy is also has lost territory. Uh, and also in our democracy, democracy, so in voting, etc., the same thing. Um, so it's, it's very important, and if I'm very... I'm a very optimistic person, so uh, that's my problem. But uh, you can be also pessimistic about it because um, if people in Holland start losing their um, faith in, in the democratic system, if we're not able to, to make it better, not only in, in how we vote, but also in how we have influence in what the economic partners do, mm -hmm. how our economic system is working, etc., etc., then you might even think in 30 years' time that China has a better solution how uh, dealing things. And that's an efficiency uh, system. Mm -hmm. That's an efficiency system yeah. organized by one or one party or whatever, mm -hmm. in, in whatever way. Uh, so that's a bit uh, pessimistic. So it, it, indeed, it, it, right? it's to make it 
even bigger, we're doing something which tries to, to change something. But it's not only on, on, on the representative democracy. So maybe if we go to bed, we don't feel it's only about saving democracy, but it's mm -hmm. democracy in a, in a very broad way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can make it very, very um, strengthened out to all the other um, yeah. sectors. Yeah, I guess it's all. It's a, it's a question of to what extent we can contribute to these major decisions about economy, redistribution of resources, yeah. or in terms of uh, decisions about policies yeah. about n n and any cool one. So I guess um, these are the things that uh, you work upon, right? That, that, that these are the things that you want to change and transform. And with this, I would like to, uh, from challenges to solutions, from challenges to um, social inclusion and sustainability relationship, particularly in, the, in an urban environment, because this is what we discuss mostly in our in our podcast. That. Uh, how do you see the relationship between social inclusion and sustainability relationship in an urban environment? And maybe Yusra may uh, reflect on this initially and then perhaps we can hear more concrete examples from you. Yeah, trying to connect between uh, urban sustainability and, um, and social inclusion uh, it reminds me of what I said at the very beginning, my experience within activist or grassroots uh, movement is uh, come from uh, the climate movement uh, and 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 so the climate movement is concerned by with sustainability right and yet is struggling to make the case and center the the the, the struggle around the question of sustainability as also a social question a social justice question the first and most impacted population, countries, um, even groups within even Western societies are always uh, going to be and are already the most marginalized, uh, excluded, etc. And so that's why I think we need, we really need to shake that concept and that practice or that whatever idea of sustainability and urban sustainability as not only something concerned by with the environment or the climate, but also or most, or first and foremost, the social, the human, uh, and not just the, even even push to say it's not about just the human, it's about the relation between the human and the non-human, right? Or more than human or other than human, because now there is a lot of talk about the right of nature, right? Ecocide, the recognition of ecocide as a, but these are like sort of theoretical or kind of maybe too conceptual, more concretely speaking, I think that um, one of the main issues that I believe our cities under the neoliberal regime, the capitalist regime, is lacking or is 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 needing and 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 somehow has lost is a, a sense of community. I think that's what we try to do when engaging in such uh, work you do or. Or, or others uh, do um, is is a, is, a, is an attempt to reconnect uh, with each other and sort of do something about our differences, recognize a knowledge that we don't have the same experiences, we don't have the same background history, <laughs> and yet we're here in this city or in this neighborhood together. So we better do something about it and talk to each other, talk to others, find ways to talk to those who 
govern govern us or decide for us. And that's where I, when preparing for this, I thought about the importance of starting from the most marginalized. I think this is this is the to 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 come uh, or fight inequalities. To me, is by starting from um, th those who are concerned the most, right, the, the, by, by a problem, and give them more time, because that's a way of rebalancing, right, and give them more space, because, um, yeah, because that's what we're uh, lacking. Um, and, I mean, that's what lies behind the distrust between institutions and, and citizens, right? So anyway, just a lot of talk from my side. <laughs> yeah, this is what we expected for actually from you, Yusra. <laughs> that was really, really, really cool, I would say. And I, I wonder, for instance, the, are there any reflections from uh, our guests here in terms of uh, the emphasis about social justice, uh, emphasis about creating time and space, and perhaps you may give some concrete examples how you do this, do these kind of activities uh, in your organizations. Well, in, in the past six years, we organized roughly 40 uh, discussions, debates, and not a single one was about sustainability. Good. Because it's not, uh, people are not concerned. It, it says enough. People are not the, the, the marginalized or those who do not uh, are connected with, with, with the institutions. They come up with problems like debt, uh, housing, 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 trash. But uh, we had no work, unemployment, no connection with the UEFA or, or uh, volunteer work problems, uh, any kind of problems close to them. Uh, and so far we had not one single, there are a lot of debates organized in the city about sustainability, they're all organized with, with a certain white, high educated intellectual group. So in, I agree completely, just from the experience I have, not because I, I'm not concerned about it, Within the group, it was not coming up. What I do see is in the past two years, during Corona, mm. if you see to, because you can uh, bring in petitions, petitions, uh, um, uh, mm -hmm. um, a lot of groups in, in the city at this moment who are coming in with petitions, they're organizing, it's, it's, it's increasing a lot. In the past year, about 25 petitions. That's even more than in the five years before. So more people are finding, and, more of these petitions are about sustainability. There are about, because this left progressive government in the city of Utrecht is trying to build the whole city full. They are agreeing on the fact that the city should grow, grow and grow. Mm. Why? I don't know. Why do all the new people in Holland have to live in Utrecht? I don't know. But this government really wants to, to grow from 350,000 citizens to 450,000. And by doing so, you, you get a, a pressure on your small green spots in the city. And then some of these... Recently, I saw in Overvecht, a group of Overvechters who are now uh, are rebellion, uh, rebellion. Rebellion, rebellion against uh, a, a new uh, a project developer who got um, uh, permission from the uh, elderman, the local mm -hmm. government, to make a hotel, uh, some building, and a, a golf golf park uh, yeah. in there in the Noorder Park, which is a park uh, uh, just across Overvecht, where the Overvechters go out for biking and swim yeah. for free. 
So that would be a nice subject for Maybe. us to, yeah, yes. to, to have a connection with this group. And, and there you see now, because the, the pressure on the housing and, and the building of all these green spots, you see some connection mm. now being made with those groups and sustainability, so to some extent. Mm -hmm. But the last worry is some, you see, so yeah, it, it needs, maybe that needs more time to, to to reach to, to, to the general public more, more broadly. That ultimately, in 10 years' time, everyone knows mm -hmm. eating meat is, is mm -hmm. not, should not be done. I mean, it's, it's just a matter of time, I think. Would you agree with that, maybe? Like this idea that, yeah, thinking about the grassroots work that you do or that must be done is somehow connected to a project or an, a vision of a sustainable city? You would say? Yeah, I think, especially if cities are growing, like mm. you say, they really want to make Utrecht grow. So it means, and already, like the, the city is getting more and more crowded. But if you don't have this social connection, if you don't know who your neighbor is, if you don't know, then you're going to have a lot of suspicion, right? And with suspicion, you're not going to get a very sustainable city. Mm. I think then you will be always quelling mm. disputes or, or fights or whatsoever. So I think... Social work is very important, actually. It's very important to make people aware of who's living next to me, who's living in the other street, who are actually people in the in the refugee shelters, who are the people at Villa Vrede. Because I think, I mean, that's my vision, of course. I'm very much on the social side, that I think that a lot of problems can be, can be solved or even uh, uh, prevented if we know who is around us. Because I think a lot of the problems, they, they arise from... Um, uncertainties or uh, misunderstandings or a lack of knowledge actually mm -hmm. about about the other, mm -hmm. about yeah. the self and the other. So I think it's very important that if cities are growing and if you want to make it sustainable, you have to, like you said, you have to build this sense of community. Because mm -hmm. I think it's also now in this world that's becoming more and more individualist, mm -hmm. super important to stay connected to each other so from this kind of conversation i i, I see that there is this uh, understanding of in in both organizations or in this kind of social work it's an attempt to uh, break down this kind of individualistic view it's a it's an attempt to uh, break down your fixed position and to invite others to be open to other uh, views and also to kind of build a dialogue so that there might be a, a way to, to build a sense of belonging, a sense of community, so that we can have uh, the sense of uh, responsibility to the other, not only us, but also to others, which, which makes us quite related to the city, right? That we are all part of the city and we are all responsible to the other in a way, that we are not living just at the top, top of mountain by ourselves. We are, we are, we are in a relation with others. And uh, if we do not have the view of the other, if we do not know about the other, the, the marginalized voices, those who cannot speak, those who cannot come uh, or who live in, 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 in a, in a uh, given environment, then uh, what, what are we going to do? Of course, of course, there will be lots of issues. Of course, there will be lots of problems. So the, the, I think these are the things that uh, we see uh, the impact of this kind of work. Well, first of all, I think Villa Vrede, um was founded because people didn't have, uh, there, wasn't, there weren't that many shelters in, uh, in Utrecht for undocumented people. Uh, then some churches came together uh, with people from the target group and said, okay, what can we do for undocumented people here? And they say, we're in need of a safe space, somewhere where we don't have to be afraid, 
where we can be ourselves, uh, where we can go during the day. Because what we saw before is like people would just be roaming around on the streets, having nothing to do, sitting on the on the benches in the city, maybe drinking or, you know. Um, so it was also a problem for the city environment or for the for the social dynamics. Mm. I think, first of all, uh, Villa Vrede really gave a space so that people, they were taken from the streets, you know, they had a place to go. They wouldn't bother anything, uh, anyone anymore. Uh, we've, also, we've also recently seen it again that because of Corona, people there was an emergency shelter where people could sleep during the night, and it just got closed actually a few uh, mm. few weeks ago. So all of a sudden, 30 people were out on the streets again. Mm. So then there was an increasing pressure on Villa Vrede because people had no place anymore to go. All of a sudden, everybody came to Villa Vrede because that was sort of the only thing. They, they, yeah, no. the place where they could be. Yeah, and the only thing they knew. So that again sort of increased or like uh, uh, made us more aware of the importance. Although maybe sometimes we think, okay, it's a nice place, nice little house, but it really means a lot for these people. And, uh, and it means a lot for the city also, I think. And if I look at um, the volunteers, we have a lot of Dutch volunteers that work at Villa Vrede, but also the volunteers who housed uh, or who hosted or a target group, so for example, people in the bike shops or different places where we can uh, put people to work, voluntary work, they really, they say, wow, it's so, it's so beautiful what these people can bring, you know, because each and every other person have different experiences and it's a nice interaction because everybody learns from each other, you know. Um, I don't know, somebody from uh, Afghanistan learns a lot of Dutch things, you know, and someone from the Netherlands learns a lot about the African culture. So I think it made Utrecht a lot richer, like this whole project. So a little bit safer on the streets and much richer in mind. That's uh, that's what I would say. And to consolidate, I think it's, it's important that more people know about this work, uh, that we can build a network. My dream would be that we have a network and everybody is aware of the different, you know, like the differences in rights, because why are some people have no rights and others have? Yeah. That would my, be my dream that everybody would be aware of it and everybody stands up or there's a lot of possibilities that can be created. I think that's what we would need to consolidate it. Just that everybody would say we're not afraid of uh, of repercussions when we hire people or, you know, okay, but that's a dream. <laughs> but I, th yeah, I think that's, yeah, <laughs> I think that's important. I think we really have to build this grassroots network that is so strong that we can say to the local, uh, to the municipality also like, okay, we're with so many people now, something needs to change. Mm -hmm. I think that's important. And then some doors can open. Um, Did your initiative ha also had a positive impact on uh, on uh, the growing of, of places for homeless people in, in Utrecht? Because in the past three, four years, uh, there were more there shelters. Were more, there were more shelters created and more places created, etc. Mm -hmm. This was a boost of. Did your organization also was maybe one of the organizations who, who were helpful in who that, who pushed, pushed for it? that? Yeah. Not necessarily, because okay. Villa Vrede in itself, sort of on paper, we, we don't arrange housing for people or no, shelters no. for people. Sure. Um, but now with this latest crisis. Yeah. Because uh, often it goes together. I mean, so we have people who are undocumented, who are uh, in a shelter because they are in a new procedure. There's people who will never get into a procedure and also people who are maybe on the streets waiting for what's going to happen. Mm. Um, and we see more and more 
more and more undocumented people who get homeless. Mm. So we've been speaking out lately. We've speak we've been speaking out about this problem more and more. Because um, if I remember well, there's a sort of ranking yeah. uh, of homelessness, of access to shelter yeah. as a homeless, and the migrant, the undocumented migrant, is at the bottom of this. So they can only get access to it under certain conditions, yeah. right? Yeah, so we have, it's a disgusting, but anyway, so uh, there's these night shelters who are open for homeless, documented homeless people. Mm. So mm. people with, with, with papers, European Union, um, they can sleep there anytime. And then uh, only when it gets like, it's, it's called the koud regeling. so when, it, when the temperature gets below five or something, um, then it opens up for all the homeless people, so also the undocumented people. Mm. And now because of the corona lockdown, mm. um, they also said nobody should be sleeping on the streets out of medical like medical uh, considerations. So they also open again for undocumented people. But now the lockdown is being lifted, so the undocumented people were the first one who were sent out of the out of the night shelter. Which is actually crazy which, because with two days, with one day and a half of like letting them know. Two days yeah. before they were like, and but it's actually it's weird because if you look at it, for example, the people that we work with, it's very vulnerable people. You know, it's not it's not scavengers, it's not the the drunk pe people that are drink all the time. It's people who really have a problem and have a reason to be here. You know, so yeah, we've been speaking out about against this problem uh, lately and also showing like the problem is growing. More people are coming. More people, for some reason, are rejected, even though 60% in the end still gets a, a permit. But people are thrown out of the asset and people are thrown out of individual houses or something. So we've seen it growing. And why is it that some people are allowed to sleep inside and some people should just be on the streets while they have maybe really mental problems or, or, uh, or health problems, you know? So... Yeah, we're we're like sort of supporting it. Mm. I wouldn't say we are the ones who are instigating it, but we are uh, speaking out and raising awareness. And how do you see the impact? Um, yeah, that's a difficult question. Um, maybe in 50% of the cases we had impact. The other 15, it was a nice evening and a little bit impact. We uh. put it we put it on the agenda in all cases. That's that's right. So in it makes 40 times uh, having an, an, a problem put on the political agenda in the, in the city. That's, that's for sure. Uh, but we always, when we start some things, we, we, we have some po potential solutions <laughs> coming along. So you also hope, of course, every time that these potential solutions, they get also into the institutions, into the, the, the government or any institution who is concerning uh, with it. Uh, and that is absolutely not always the case. And sometimes it did indeed have an enormous impact. But then you see that after two, three or four years, it's, it's away again. Mm -hmm. And the problem is that if you do it like as we, we did in the past five, six years, by organizing, so like, like for example housing, we organized three times a housing debate. It's not enough. If you want to have pressure on the housing discussion, you need three debates a year, mm. every year. So you need a housing program with continuous debate to get so that politicians or responsible um, people, directors, 
of several housing organizations in the city know that every five, six months, we come again back on the, on the agenda and say, hey, how far is it with this and this and this? We are too small to have a, a sustainable impact. That's in fact the, the problem. So we're nice to be there, we're a pioneer, but if you, if you want to have more impact, uh, the challenge is to, we, we should double or three double our efforts, mm -hmm. at least. And that's a, a big problem. Like a city is like in Amsterdam, you have um, similar debate uh, organizations who indeed have a budget which is 10, 20 times bigger than what we have here in the city. So just imagine they can organize so much more debate in their city than we can in our city. It's of course, a as you said, a progressive left-wing city, but it's also a city with uh, a poverty of, of debate in debate. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's a village. It's, yeah. it's, there is not that much debate and, and, and um, that's a pity. So there's, uh, for us, there is an enormous challenge. Um, so I'm modest about the impact we had so far. How would you, how would you consolidate that? How would you, how would you, uh, you know, uh, increase or try to increase that? Well, I think we all, uh, one thing already has happened in the past few years. The network in Utrecht is huge. We have uh, collaboration with uh, RTV Utrecht and with Utrecht in Dialoog and uh, the library and uh, the Buurt Kulturhuizen Simic. But uh, now we're also branching out. So we're also looking to other parties like the Turn Club in Amsterdam and Prodemos who are uh, very much active uh, with regard to the uh, democratic system. I, I meant to say that um, we are reaching out, maybe is the better okay. word. So we are mm. inviting the Turn Club and Prodemos mm. to uh, assist us and join forces. So uh, we also have a plan of having a night with the uh, mayor here in Utrecht with the Turn Club. Uh, it's up to us is a book from Melijn Twaalfhoven. He's the initiator of uh, the Turn Club. And he would love to come to Utrecht and have one of those nights uh, with us as a Stats Podium. Nice. So in that way we are trying to uh, have a bigger impact. Yeah, definitely. So if you go on, we need, to, we need in fact to double our efforts. Mm -hmm. And yeah. then we might have uh, a sustainable impact mm -hmm. in what we were, we're trying to do. Yeah. But well, going on, on like we did is not, uh, is not enough. Because uh, you say you work with people who are sometimes difficult to motivate, right? To, to participate in these dialogues. How do you keep them motivated? If you say, okay, we have these dialogues and the impact is not so much or it takes a long time. How do you keep them motivated? You don't. <laughs> That's yeah. the problem. Yeah. We organize a lot of uh, debates with migrant groups mm -hmm. and I see that already, mm -hmm. that some of these network groups in the migrant uh, area, they say, okay, you're a nice, nice person, but uh, what was your impact? Yeah. So if we, we need to, if we want to go on, and we want to go on, we need to strengthen ourselves, like Teresa said, and I, if possible, to double our efforts instead of downsizing it. Uh, otherwise, you 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 lose your credits with these groups, and they say, "Oh, it it, it doesn't make." They get disappointed again. Uh, that's that would be bad. That would be bad. Uh, bad uh. Yeah, I wanted to react really briefly to your previous intervention, saying it's not enough to have a sustainable an Im impact. We we would need to sort of scale or kind of 
And yet I, I just want to, I'm not sure I'm like the optimist uh, person, but I like to remind myself um, that every effort counts, right? Every step counts, that all this is, is work in progress. And, and of course, it's, it's important to recognize where are your needs or challenges and, and where you want to go. But uh, really the, that thing in particular that you mentioned very early on when you almost introduced yourselves, um, and, and pointed to the agenda setting, the, putting on the agenda is already a huge thing. And wh whatever small and uh, uh, ephemeral it can be, yet it has a potential, right? A potential of making visible something that has been made invisible, right? It's not by chance that, right, that we're not discussing the problem of housing enough in the public debate because it's uh, sort of, Sometimes willingly, they knew, I think you, you used an example earlier, you said they knew what they were go doing, and yet, oh, they knew about the migrant, the asylum seekers. Yeah. They knew that putting them all together or something like this. And then, so I'm thinking of Luke's power. One of the faces of power is to kind of not put things on the agenda, yeah. is to look at what's invisible in the agenda right. of the powerful sure. and, and make that visible and... and and at least you can you do this. Yeah. Then, of course, there's more to do um, and to keep up. But yeah, uh, completely correct. But the point you made uh, is, is also correct. That if if the impact that's an impact, yeah. but uh, for a lot of people, it's not enough. Exactly. Uh, right. They say, yeah, you put it on the agenda, yeah. and you had some yeah. result, and then after two years, the result was vanishing. Um, so yeah. it's not it's not enough. Yeah. You need more to to have it, uh, to keep them on board. Right. It's, it's a kind of ongoing struggle, isn't it? Yeah. That, but it's always yeah. working towards, always working towards, I guess. But it's not that easy. Yeah. But assuming that, for instance, coming towards the end of the uh, uh, session, I have two questions left. One is actually about uh, assuming that you have doubled your resources and uh, the same for uh, that you have all the things that you have. How would you envision a socially inclusive, sustainable Utrecht? What would be your dream, let's say? We heard a bit, but perhaps you may elaborate on this, uh, Leonie and uh, Therese and Hart. Uh, my dream. I think if I would look at uh, Utrecht, um, my dream Utrecht would be where people are just open to meet each other, open to uh, wherever you're coming from, whatever your situation is. And it can be, does, I'm not even talking about about uh, people who were born here and people who were born somewhere else, but also people from different different uh, levels or backgrounds, yeah, where people would just be open to talk to each other and to understand each other, to go visit each other, you know? Yeah, I think that is something that I think would be super great if there would be more understanding and compassion and people can can help each other out, that we really have this community feeling that we are carrying Utrecht, sort of, and that we're welcoming welcoming everybody sort of and that we're carrying or making making Utrecht bigger than it is and that we're sort of united in our diversity that's that's uh, that's what I would say that we can just embrace all the differences that we have here yeah that would be my dream Utrecht I think <laughs> great wonderful yeah wonderful dream 
Uh, I love what you just said, and I think that, well, in, in, in the beginning of our conversation, uh, you said something about uh, the, the opening a space, a safe space, you mentioned that as well. For me, it's that, it's a safe space mm -hmm. where um, uh, we kind of remember what we built this system for, mm -hmm. and that the system is serving us mm -hmm. instead of we are serving the system. And I believe that then everybody can be in included because it's not something abstract that nobody understands anymore. Only a few can really grasp and can uh, utilize, but everybody can utilize it at, uh, yeah, and, and make sure that we are all on the, well, on the same level. Yeah. Well, in short, my dream would be that uh, in Utrecht we all believe in the end that it, it's more important to invest in... Um, the, the, the local neighborhoods who are already there and the, the communities, that we strengthen the communities in all these nearly 100 or more neighborhoods instead of what's now going on, that the focus of the local government and of many institutions is especially on growing, growing, growing. It's, it's a growing focus. Um, politicians, um, border, boards of directors are especially concerned with how to, to make it possible that, again, 20, 30 new neighborhoods come in place and, and that this city grows furthermore in, uh, in this country to who knows what. And then they call it sustainable uh, growth. Yeah, and neglect <laughs> social, especially social and even maybe climate sustainable growth. Yeah, yeah. especially social sustainable, social sustainability. That these neighborhoods need, they, you need investment in that. Uh, so maybe a little bit less growing huh? uh, and more focus, uh, also in priorities. I mean, if you go to the local council here, the focus is especially always more housing. Of course, the local communities need to need to go okay, but the focus is on more houses for the new the new citizens who are coming to Utrecht and if you're coming in. Not citizens undocumented, <laughs> only yeah. documented and hopefully... Yeah. Mostly white citizens, who knows what. But shouldn't we expect this from the municipality? Uh, that there are people coming, they, are, they have found work and they just, you know, come from different cities, different countries. And then, of course, there's a need for housing and if there's a need for living areas. Who should be in charge of this then? Or who, what might be an alternative solution here? Or a different alternative growth? What, what, what might be your take here? Now, to put it in street language, mm. uh, the last example, I think, is the Merwede. Merwede is a new neighborhood in, the, in Utrecht uh, for 10,000 housing. So 20, 25,000 people should live there in Merwede. It's pretty close to the center. Uh, and opposite Merwede is an existing neighborhood called Rivierenwijk. The politicians, the directors of housing corporations, uh, project developers... They're all, the focus is, how do we organize this new Merwede? Mm. And then, in the end of the week, they organize a small trip to Rivierenwijk to say, oh yeah, you get new neighbors, uh, how are you doing? But those, those neighbors are very concerned about this huge development, because in, mm. that's, it's, it's, it, it will become the most densely uh, populated area in the Netherlands. You don't know it because it's not put on the political agenda, as you mentioned before. That's power. That's power. It's not mentioned. But it will become, Merwede will become the most densely populated area in the Netherlands. 
nobody is concerned about what is that going to mean. There are some groups, there are some people in the Revierweg who discovered this and they said, what's going on? But there is no interest in what's their concern. So they neglected. Uh, in the past one year, we organized only one podium debate. It, due to Corona, we had to do it online. But impact zero. Yeah. Impact 0, 0.0 because the the there is so much money concerned yeah. with it. Yeah. There is the, the political economy talks. The, the yeah. political agenda to change that and to say if you build it, maybe you could downsize it a bit and invest a little bit more in the neighboring neighborhoods like Rivierweg, mm -hmm. so that they have it's a small uh, small village to some extent. It's a village mm -hmm. thing. And what you do is, in fact, disorder the whole village. Because next to it, you build a huge center. And if you ask them how to change this, whoa, that's a question. I mean, what, what we hope to do is that the culture change, that you, you, you say for some extent, oh yeah, we can't do this, that you see these problems. But until now, the Groenlings alderman, Kees Diepenveen, says, Gert, this is progression. He says to me directly, in the debates, yeah. online. It says, yeah. this is progression. Of course, you're concerned. But believe me, in 10 years' time, we're all happy with this growth. Says Groenlinks. Yeah. Left wing. Yeah. Left, left wing. And right? environmental. And, and environmental. Yeah. And very concerned with climate change. Okay. No problem. But less concerned with social sustainability instead of climate sustainability. Mm -hmm. So indeed, that is what I hope. That, and how many people are concerned with this? 20, 30, 40, 50, and what, and the, and the others? The Rivierweg is r highly developed, highly educated, but on the other side of this, it's Transweg. Did we hear anybody complaining about this new village from Transweg? Nobody. No, nearly nobody. I know, so, I know one, one person, I know somebody, a uh, Moroccan uh, <laughs> background who says, oh, this is not going, not going good. But uh, the most complaints came from Rivierweg, which is um, uh, highly educated. They, they find their way still, but they did not succeed either. So it's, it's, it's not so easy to, to change. Yeah. yeah, but definitely we can take the point of like uh, maybe to other conversation, future conversation of growth and the, yeah. how much we need to really stop on, on believing on this yeah. paradigm of growth. Like, yeah. We we we, we degrowth. We have to go yeah. like slow down yeah. and yeah. not grow everything. We want to do climate change, social change. Yeah. We want to make a better world, but nobody thinks about how important to downsize growth is in that in that sense. Mm -hmm. so. This brings us to the last question, I would say, because we we usually finish our podcast sessions uh, by asking. Um, assuming that there is someone who is concerned about undocumented migrants or who would like to be, who would like to have a socially inclusive society or who would like to debate some topics, um, what would be your suggestions for such a newcomer to this uh, field of uh, social inclusion, let's say, and who is concerned about sustainability? What, what, what would you suggest to uh, them? Pass by. <laughs> no, I think, um, yeah, I think it's very important to make the first step and actually go. Uh, come and visit Villa Vrede, that's what I would say. We're always open from Tuesday to Saturday and everybody's always welcome to come and 
meet the people that come there, drink coffee and tea. Yeah, we also have a newsletter on the website. We also have a website and a very nice Facebook and stuff where we put our activities and some stories always of, uh, of, of people. Uh, yeah, I think that's the first step. Come and visit and uh, become a volunteer or something. Yeah, I think that's the most important thing. Read about the situation of, of undocumented people. There's a lot of documentaries and articles written about them. Some of them are also on our website. So mm -hmm. looking around and meeting people and looking into the different organizations is the first step of yeah, trying to find your way and deciding how you want it or what you want it. Yeah. Great advice. And what would you recommend, Teresa and well, Gert? Well, if, if people want to collaborate with us, I would suggest uh, contacting me or Gert through email. Uh, you can find us on our website, of course. And uh, I would like everyone to keep an eye out for uh, our open calls. Uh, when we have a go, we'll uh, announce it on our website and let people know in our news newsletter as well that there's a new Stadspodium coming up so uh, they should uh, follow us and uh, keep an eye out I think yeah. I agree completely yeah. <laughs> great great uh, that was a great uh, podcast session uh, thank you very much for all your insights for all the contribution you make uh, Teresa Hert from uh, Stadspodium uh, and uh, Leonie from Villafrede and Yusra from Utrecht University Thank you very much and also at the production uh, Belle. Thank you and thank you all for uh, joining us and hopefully until next time. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you.